70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of Global Korea. Throughout the year, we celebrate the 70th anniversary of KBS World Radio with the voices of our listeners from all over the world. Chào các bạn, mình tên là Trần Văn Thắng. Mình là một giáo viên tiếng Anh, cũng là một giáo viên tiếng Việt, đang sinh sống và làm việc tại Thái Bình của Việt Nam. Hi, my name is John Ban Tang. I live in Taipin in Vietnam and I teach English and Vietnamese. I started listening to KBS World Radio in 2012. KBS World Radio has been introducing me to Korea's economy, culture, society and more, broadening my understanding of the country. Just as I started to think about visiting Korea, I came across an opportunity to go in 2018. During my week-long stay in Korea, I went to various museums and cultural heritage sites. I was deeply impressed by how Korea takes care and respects its cultural assets. Congratulations, KBS World Radio, on your 70th anniversary. Seventy years with KBS World Radio, seventy years of global Korea. KBS World Radio brings Korea to you wherever you are. Wednesday, the 15th of February, and welcome to Korea 24. I'm your host, Kwon jang President Yoon sung yeol has pledged to freeze increases on public utility fees for the first half of the year, as well as adjust the pace of gas and electricity rate hikes for the year. We'll have more details in news briefing shortly. Board members at SM Entertainment have become embroiled in a power struggle with the founder, Lee Suman, that has pulled in cacao and hybe, We'll explore this developing feud and its implications on the industry for our in-depth today. And coming up for Korea Book Club, we have a short story about how a simple act of kindness can shape a person's life. Let's begin Korea 24. President Yoon sung yeol has vowed to try and ease financial burden for the public In line with such efforts, he pledged to freeze charges for public utilities, such as on expressways and railroads, by as much as possible. For more on this story and our other headlines from today, I'm joined in the studio by KBS World Radio News Editor Daniel Che. Daniel, hello. Hello there, Jungle. So on top of the freeze on public utility fees, he also promised to adjust the scope and pace of energy rate hikes while urging the telecommunications and financial sectors to share the burden of inflation as well. Can you walk us through the details of what he has planned? Well, during an emergency economic meeting on Wednesday, Yoon pointed out while the growth in consumer prices and interest rates has subsided as of late, ordinary citizens and the socially vulnerable are still struggling. He expressed concerns that a rise in heating bills and scheduled hikes in public utility fees will add to the public's burden. Yoon said efforts will be made to ensure that utility charges managed by the central government, such as those covering public roads, rails, and the postal service, will be frozen during the first half. 
He then promised to adjust the pace of rate hikes for gas and electricity. He also called on telecommunications and financial companies to voluntarily seek ways to share the burden imposed by inflation. Underscoring that their market dominance and influence over household finances, he also highlighted that these industries have public roles. He also seemingly criticized the Moon Jae-in administration over the energy and utility fee spike, denouncing policies based on populism or ideology instead of science for leading to public suffering. He vowed to prioritize people's livelihoods in all policy matters and ask for cooperation from provincial authorities as well as the private sector. And the nation's top three mobile carriers are quickly responding to President Yoon's calls for such firms to voluntarily explore ways to share the burden imposed by, by inflation. So can you outline some of the changes for us? Well, on Wednesday, the big three announced plans to provide free mobile data next month. SK Telecom will allow their 3G, LT and 5G users aged 19 and older to use 30 gigabytes for free in March. KT Corp promised the same benefits for its customers. LGU Plus will double the mobile data supposed to be given to subscribers during a month-long period. And in further efforts to ease the financial burden in the midst of inflation, the city of Seoul has decided to postpone its plan to hike subway and bus fares until the second half of the year instead of April. That's right. The Seoul Metropolitan Government revealed the decision on Wednesday, shortly after President Yoon pledged to freeze public utility charges in the first half of the year to minimize the public's burden. The Seoul government had been making preparations to apply the marked-up fares for subways and buses from the end of April, culminating in a proposal to the city council on Monday that the prices for both modes of transportation rise by 400 to 300 to 401 per trip, that is. An official of the city government said Seoul decided to delay raising the fares in accordance with the president's remarks, but did add such hikes are inevitable. Yes, so let's uh, move on to some other headlines now. The South Korean government has pressed China to take into consideration Seoul's security concerns in the face of North Korea's persistent nuclear threats. Can you tell us more? According to the South Korean embassy in Beijing on Wednesday, Ambassador Chong Jae-ho issued such a view in talks with China's Vice Foreign Minister Sun Weidong. Earlier on Tuesday, Chong's remarks seemingly urged Beijing to exert its influence on Pyongyang in the wake of continuous missile tests as well as possible seventh nuke test. Some observers believe the comment was an attempt by the ambassador to keep China in check in anticipation of Beijing taking issue with Seoul's response measures to the North's nuclear missile threats, including the deployment of THAAD, or Terminal High-Altitude Area Defense, batteries. On its official website on Wednesday, the Chinese foreign ministry said during the meeting with the South Korean ambassador, Sun expressed hope that Seoul will make an objective, rational, and fair decision with regard to the latest Sino-U.S. flashpoint, Beijing's way of indirectly expressing discontent over Seoul's siding with Washington on the decision to shoot down a suspected Chinese spy balloon. Meanwhile, there were some positive developments in bilateral ties between the two countries. China has announced that they will resume issuing short-term visas for South Koreans after Seoul restarted its short-term visa program for Chinese nationals as well. Can you tell us more? Well, on Wednesday, via social media, the Chinese embassy in Seoul said the visa issuance will resume on Saturday, four days after Seoul made the equivalent move for Chinese travellers. Beijing has suspended its short-term visa program for South Koreans on January 10th in apparent retaliation for Seoul's decision eight days earlier to pause short-term entry and require PCR tests to be taken 48 hours prior to departure and after entering a move deemed necessary due to rising COVID-19 infections in China. 
China then excluded South Koreans from a program allowing travelers with a layover in China to stay for either three or six days, before also requiring post-entry testing for South Korean arrivals after Seoul extended its travel policies late last month. So we are seeing some positive turnaround. Let's turn our attention now to the situation in Turkey and Syria. The death toll from the devastating earthquakes has reportedly surpassed 41,000 now. So can you update us? Well, the total takes into account the official death toll of 35,418 from Turkey announced by President Recep Tayyip Erdogan. Deaths compiled by in Syria's government-controlled areas reported by the Syrian Arab News Agency, as well as fatalities in Syria's rebel-held regions tallied by the UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs. Earlier, the Associated Press and the AFP said the combined death toll from the two countries has approached 40,000. But the Washington Post report said the figure has exceeded 40,000, quoting a larger Syrian death toll announced by the U.N. office. Compiling statistics in Syria is challenging due to the country's long-running civil war. On Tuesday, the WHO's regional office for Europe also provided an approximate figure on Syria's death toll. About 5,000 people have died along the border. The earthquake has become the deadliest natural disaster in Turkish history, replacing the magnitude 7.8 quake in 1939 that claimed 33,000 lives. Hans Kluge, WHO Regional Director for Europe, said this quake is the worst natural disaster in Europe in 100 years. South Korea plans to send a new relief team, mostly composed of medical workers, to Turkey this week, as well as 55 tons of aid materials. That's coming from Foreign Minister Park Jin during an interagency meeting on ways to help the country held on Wednesday. In other news, South Korea's unification minister, Kwon Young-se, issued a cautious assessment regarding North Korean leader Kim Jong-un's daughter, Jue, who was seen at major public events lately. So what has he said? Well, Kwon said on Wednesday during the plenary session of the Parliamentary Committee on Foreign Affairs and Unification that North Korea appears to be preparing for a succession plan in advance to strengthen the solidarity of the regime centering on Kim and the ruling family's so-called peg to bloodline. The minister voiced caution on the speculation that Chuwe, believed to be around 10 years old, could be groomed as Kim's successor. Kwon said this could be highly unlikely considering Chuwe's age and the patriarchal North Korean regime. The minister added that South Korea is looking into various possibilities. Last week, Kim Jue attended a military parade to mark the 75th founding anniversary of the North's army. And on Tuesday, the communist state unveiled designs of a new stamp featuring the daughter of the North Korean leader. And finally, turning to our in-depth topic today, SM Entertainment uh, shares surged to record high levels at one point Wednesday as as expectations mount that more suitors may emerge to challenge the BTS label Hype uh, Hybe for control of the renowned entertainment company. Can you tell us more? Well, we're talking about the K-pop talent agency and studio founded by Lee Suman, uh, which is seen as a pioneer in spreading Hallyu overseas. They produce groomed big names like Super Junior, Girls' Generation, to name a few. Mm. Investors are betting internet giant Kakao, which seeks to raise its profile in music through an alliance with SM, may counter Hybe's takeover bid. A local media report said Kakao had reportedly approached investment firm and K-Contents giant CJ Corp to jointly buy SM shares. CJ, though, denied the report. Shares of SM Entertainment leapfrogged Hype's offer price during Wednesday trade in Seoul. The stock price rose as much as 9.5% to a record 127901 at one point, above Hype's offer of 120000 per share. And that was before closing at 122601 SM shares have jumped about 60% since the start of the year. 
what started as a power struggle between SM Board and its founder has now grown into a complex battle involving some of the biggest names in Korean entertainment. Hive, the number one K-pop agency, last week joined hands with E to block SM from issuing new shares to Kakao. Hive said in a statement to Bloomberg, though, it has no plans to change its offer price of 120000 per share. Analysts believe this could be because making such a move can start an endless bidding war. We'll have more on this story next in our in-depth, but for now, we wrap up our news briefing. Daniel, thank you for those updates. Thank you for having me. The Korean entertainment industry was rocked last week when it was announced that HYBE, the entertainment agency that houses BTS, would move to become the largest shareholder in rival SM Entertainment by acquiring shares held by SM's founder, Lee Suman. This came after Kakao had previously released its plans to secure a stake in SM to become the second largest shareholder. This battle for shares in SM stems from a feud between founder E and SM Entertainment's current management. To better understand this developing story and discuss what it means for the entertainment industry, we have two guests joining us over the line. First, we have Bernie Cho, founder and president of creative agency DFSB Collective. Bernie, hello. It's great to have you on the show again. Always good to be back. And we also have Sidabao Seiji, uh, the Assistant Professor in Korean and East Asian Studies at Busan National University. Professor, hello. Thank you for being on the show, too. Thank you for the invitation. Professor, could we start with you, actually? Could you give us a bit more background on this feud between the current management of SM Entertainment and its founder, Lee Suman? What are they fighting over and why? Well, um, SM is a publicly traded company, and there are a lot of shareholders uh, became quite uh, aggrieved about SM Entertainment paying large amounts of money to a private company called Like Entertain Like Planning, uh, and Like Planning was uh, Isuman uh, maintaining creative control over. Uh, the majority of of the SM roster. Right. And the shareholders that particularly uh, brought up this issue was, of course, uh, Align Partners, uh, a so-called local activist hedge fund. Uh, Bernie, what have you made of this internal feud that has developed, particularly at SM, which, of course, played an enormous role in creating what uh, we call the K-pop industry today? Well, I think, you know, when we talk about all the play, some of the biggest heavyweights in not just music, but tech and entertainment have all been thrown around. Um, we obviously have SM Entertainment, Kakao, uh, CJ, E&M's name was briefly mentioned today and then faded, but they were always um, part of the mix. And then obviously we now have Hyde, but we have to backtrack a little bit and really focus on the entity that triggered this whole power struggle. Uh, Align Partners Capital Management. They introduced a very foreign, very new, very concept, which is activist investing. 
And as a result, what we've seen over the past year just snowball into an absolute avalanche. Um, and it just focused really on something very simple and very plain, which is transparency. And again, as um, the good professor mentioned, because SM Entertainment is a publicly traded stock, um, it has performed well. It has performed pretty good. But to not only activist investors, but to shareholders, to um, you know, my, especially minority shareholders, they are not happy with pretty or good. They want bigger. They want better. And if anything, they want best. And it was very apparent over the years that the only person that was truly benefiting from the success of SM Entertainment was Isuman, the namesake of SM Entertainment. And um, again, because of transparency and because SM is a publicly traded stock, over the past few days, the past few weeks, and especially the past few months, um, numbers were revealed as to what the extent of that relationship between SM Entertainment, Isuman, and essentially himself, vis-a-vis -vis through this company called Like Planning. Um, over the past 22 years, Like Planning essentially was carving out nearly one third of SM Entertainment's operating profits and accumulated over a hundred million dollars. And what was a little bit stunning and I would say shocking was the fact that this contract of constantly getting royalties um, was to not only be for the next few years, but for the next 70 years. 2090, I believe, 2092. Mm. Obviously, this did not sit well with investors, with shareholders. And um, March 6th is the date that a lot of people in the industry are looking to and looking forward to because that is when SM Entertainment's annual shareholders meeting will go down. And the shareholder meeting is, is shaping up to be a showdown, but really a battle royale. And it seems like every day a new player, a new twist, a new turn, a new wrinkle um, is not only happening in, re in regards to investor relations, but if anything, in real time. Professor, what do you make of these revelations at SM and the issue of transparency uh, that Bernie has uh, brought up? Well, I can understand uh, why the, the investors feel uh, perhaps betrayed. Uh, they're investing in SM, they're expecting to have a certain amount of returns, and it looks like Isuman is pocketing a, a large amount of the returns. On uh, the other hand, um, part of, I guess, perhaps the, the next part of what's happened here is that we've had this very public unveiling of the SM 3.0 platform, like where SM is going to go under the uh, young new leaders who are not Isuman. And it seems that part of all of these uh, many balls that are in motion at the moment mm. were set off by uh, some of the revelation that, that came out of this YouTube video that was, was uh, uh, by the, the the management of SM Entertainment, saying this is the direction that we're going, mm. and there um, there were a lot of parts of that uh, disclosure that mm. really looked like putting business much for any discussion of of art mm. or or music, and um, if if we want to ascribe to Isuman 
uh, some good points. We can definitely see he does have artistic vision. He has shown a remarkable ability to continually turn out uh, hit groups and produce uh, amazing music. And so he may, um, just as the investors feel betrayed by him, he may be feeling betrayed that his artistic uh, vision is being uh, scuttled in favor of perhaps very uh, dollars and cents oriented decision making. Yes, uh, apologies to our listeners. Uh, we're losing some, a couple of the words that uh, Professor uh, said that, but uh, I think the line is going to hold up. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, meanwhile, Bernie, last week it was announced, as we said, the tech giant Cacao Corporation, which has an entertainment arm, Cacao Entertainment, uh, would partner with SM Entertainment to acquire 9.05% of the company's shares and become the second largest shareholder of the company. Bernie, can you take this for us? What do Cacao and SM each have to gain from this partnership? Um, well, again, as soon as the new leadership at SM Entertainment rolled out on January 20th, their SM 3.0 mission statement, a few days later on February 6th, no less, um, SM, uh, in conjunction with Align, um, had embraced Cacao Entertainment as now their second largest shareholder. Now, what's interesting is the 9.05% equity that they took on. Um, this was in the form of new shares, um, and this was going to be the rocket fuel that was going to propel this SM 3.0 into going even more global and expanding. The price tag is what's interesting. Um, it came out to about 217 billion Korean won, which is roughly about 172.8 million US dollars. Why that is significant was almost a year ago, um, Cacao Entertainment actually came very close to buying um, Yusuman's shares in SM Entertainment, um, the, his 18.27%, but the price was significantly higher. It was rumored to be anywhere between 600 billion to 1 trillion Korean won. So essentially, Cacao Entertainment got a, a better deal. Uh, they were able to get half the shares, but more importantly, at nearly a 25 to 55% discount. And what's more important is that on January 12th, 2023, um, they got a nearly 1.2 trillion Korean won investment from uh, two sovereign funds, one from Singapore and one from Saudi Arabia. So that's almost a billion US dollars that they had in their coffers, in their war chest, for Cacao Entertainment to expand their various um, entertainment media ambitions. And one of them very prominently in terms of going global was K-pop. And so it made a lot of sense for them to quickly deploy um, these new resources to go global and what better IP and more importantly, what better platform to team up with SM Entertainment because that is a proven uh, commodity, a proven talent hmm. um, and proven IP on global. And so it made a lot of sense for both sides to find ways to work together and to lean into each of us, each, each of their respective strengths. Um, but again, this did not sit well with Chairman Lee because essentially what happened was um, not only did he lose his ability to sell his shares to a friendly entity, um, but more importantly, lost the power and the influence and control that he originally had put on as a precondition mm. when he was trying to sell his shares um, almost sure. a year ago. But then 
That's where Hybe comes in. After news of SM and Cacao's partnership came out, SM's founder, uh, Lee Suman, teamed up with Hybe, the entertainment agency that houses uh, the K-pop superstars BTS. Hybe agreed to purchase most of E's shares to become the largest shareholder. That's a 14.8% of the shares. Uh, Professor Seji, how does Hybe come into this and what is their relationship with Lee Suman? What do the parties here get out of this? Well, if if Cacao M acquires uh, SM, then we have we continue to have four major K-pop companies operating. Mm. Uh, it's just instead of it being SM, it's Cacao runs SM. So we continue to have four companies. But if Hybe uh, absorbs SM under Hybe, then they become three major companies and it allows um it allows hybe really to dictate the direction of the k-pop industry because they would have 60 65% of the entire industry under their control they wouldn't have to worry about some sort of shifting domestic terrain at the same time that they are very actively expanding globally hmm. so creating stability being able to control over half of the domestic music industry it'll give them a really comfortable foundation from which to explore more risky global initiatives right so that if that is if uh, hive uh, decides to uh, keep all of isuman's shares there is talk that uh, Bernie, that uh, Isuman uh, is basically just a, a deal for now uh, because uh, the Hybe CEO uh, and founder, Pang Xiaok, used to be essentially a... Uh, uh, um, uh, so Isuman was his mentor. Yeah, I mean, um, in the Korean press, one of the things that's highlighted is this bid, if anything, this bidding war, this proxy war for SM Entertainment is amongst Seoul National University graduates. Uh, Isuman um, is a Seoul National University graduate, as is um, Bang Shiuk, as well as the founder of, and chairman of Kakao, um, Kim Bumsu. And so, and then the interesting thing is, we again, we can't forget Align. Uh, the CEO and founder of that activist fund is also a Seoul National University graduate. Now, what it has to do with all of them going to the same school, honestly, I really don't know. But definitely when the press release came out with both Bang Xiaok and Isuman coming together, joining forces and holding hands, it was very apparent um, that in many ways, this wasn't just an investment uh, strategically, it was a form of tribute uh, in terms of creatively because Bang Xiaok, uh, rightfully so, um, you know, uh, showed a lot of respect and really reminded people out there of who Isuman is and is trying to position Hive's involvement and Hive's investment as a way to see if there's a win-win where Hive would bring in the best of what they've got, but also find ways to um, roll up and possibly absorb some of the best practices um, and more importantly, legacies of SM and Isuman into this new emerging picture. Um, but once that announcement came out, it was very fascinating to hear that 85% of the SM Entertainment employee executives um, came out and voted and said that they were against this uh, collaboration or, or, or joint attempt by Hybe and Isuman. 
So, you know, right now, I think among the um, financial analysts I've heard who've really done a deep dive on this, uh, there's a TikTok video circulating talking about the drama because this is shaping up to be one of the best Korean TV dramas that's not on TV yet. Um, someone compared this and they actually broke down all the executives and compared them to specific characters to HBO Succession. And it was frighteningly accurate. Um, but yeah, this has got everything. It's got twists. It's got sure. turns. And and it's something um, that um, a lot of people from fans, the financial analysts mm. are really looking at, looking forward to, and then more importantly, looking into right now. Bernie, what do you make of some of the concerns that uh, the professor hinted at, uh, the fact that perhaps uh, if uh, High were to really take control of SM, that they become a sort of monopoly in the industry, that uh, their power becomes uh, bigger than ever? I mean, for me, I've been a big fan of what um, Big Hit and obviously now they're known as Hive has been doing over the years, particularly since they IPO'd and more importantly, what they've done uh, in terms of a post-BTS uh, business. Um, they have been very dynamic, very diverse in expanding their portfolio where they're really no longer a K-pop company. They've really evolved through a lot of very smart acquisitions and acquihires um, to become really a new pop music juggernaut. Um, I crunched the numbers. And again, this is not being a fanboy or some sort of weird nationalist flex, but the reality is is if we look at the annual revenues of Hybe right now and more importantly, soon to be projected, they're the de facto number four behind mm. the big three of Universal and Sony. Um, and if the criteria of becoming the new major, you know, I'm um, clearing over a billion um, pounds, a billion euros, a billion dollars, Hybe hit that plateau and then some. And they're the only other music company in the world. Um, none of the big music conglomerates in in France, in Germany have hit or more importantly passed that billion dollar mark. Sure. So for Hive, they, they've made some really smart investments and they have one on the same day they made that SM Entertainment um, right. announcement, which is with QB quality control. That I was impressed by and applauded. The SM thing, frankly, surprised me, but also worried me because the scale is so big. Mm. I really don't know if they can handle it. But it, again, I'm, I'm staying tuned and, and seeing what happens. Sure. Um, Professor Seiji, finally, uh, what do you think will happen now? How do you think it will plan out? And what are your final takeaways from this? What do you perhaps like to see come out from this? Wow. Um, okay, that's a lot all at once. Um, you know, I, I really see the advantage of this alliance between HYBE and SM as, as being stability and decision-making power, that uh, HYBE won't have to worry about uh, Cacao trying to expand and acquire new music companies because, you know, they, uh, they, will, um, they won't really be in a, a control uh, tug-of-war with Cacao if they can acquire SM. And fans of SM artists, um, I actually think that Isuman's continued creative control might uh, be a good thing, especially since there's been talk of having Min Hee Jin uh, of Ador Music coming in as sort of like the, the HYBE uh, proxy looking over what's happening at SM. And of course, she used to be an executive at SM. She knows how to work with us. She knows these artists already. So in terms of creating like a consistent product for fans, 
um, this uh, collaboration between HYBE and and SM might uh, be the best thing. Uh, of course, when you look online at a lot of the fan discourse, fans are, are look at SM 3.0 and they say, oh, they're talking about more artists. They're talking about more releases per year. Mm. But when I look at more releases per year, I also worry about the toll that takes on artists. And um, and I have seen that, that Isuman has done a good job keeping his artists happy over the years and having uh, really long-term contracts, not with all artists, many artists. And so I do think that there are some things that he's doing right and becoming perhaps um, uh, sure. moving in the way that, that the cacao sure. deal would move to become hmm. uh, bigger and more productive. It, it's not always the best thing for the music. It's not always the best thing for the art and that's important to me. There are so many layers to the story. I feel like we are just scratching the stur- surface, but we are going to have to leave it uh, there. This is an issue I think is not going to be resolved anytime soon. So uh, we will perhaps touch on it again another time. But for today, uh, we'll leave it there. Professors Heiji, Bernie, we appreciate your time and your thoughts today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index fell 37.74 points, or 1.53% on Wednesday, to close the day at 2,427.90. The tech-heavy KOSDAQ also fell, losing 14.12 points, or 1.81%, to close at 765.46. On the foreign exchange, the local currency weakened 12.81 against the U.S. dollar, closing the day at 1,282.21. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. It's time now for Korea Trending, our daily segment, where we take a look at some of the other news headlines that have been trending online today. And for that, we have Walter Lee joining us in the studio now. Walter, hello. It's good to see you. It's lovely to be here. Let's jump straight into our stories today. What do you have for us first? Yeah, so the vacuum in public health services in regions outside the Seoul metropolitan area is becoming a serious problem. Now, the Sokcho Medical Center in Kanwon Province, which looks after the health of residents living near Mount Sorak, is currently operating its ER only four days a week from Thursday to Sunday. These new operation hours were implemented on February 1st after two of the center's five medical specialists quit. Now, the center posted a job opening for an ER doctor last month but didn't see a single applicant. This led the center to repost the job opening with an offer of more than 400 million won in annual salary, it's roughly 310,000 US dollars. Right, this is an increasingly urgent problem where hospitals in regions outside of Seoul are struggling to hire doctors. So what alternatives do people who live near Mount Sarag have then when faced with a medical emergency on days other than those four that you mentioned? Well, the reduction in the so, uh, Sokcho Medical Center's operations has led to a surge in ER patients in a nearby private hospital. Now, having an ER that operates around the clock, this hospital has come to uh, practically assume the role of a public medical center. According to the doctor there, the number of ER patients in the hospital has jumped more than 60% and added that this cannot continue like it. Yes. So has Sokcho City presented any measures to uh, address 
This is the latest void in public health services. Well, the city's mayor, Lee Byung-son, apologised for the failings when he spoke to reporters earlier on Monday, but also claimed that it's up to the medical centre to come up with the self-help measures. Lee then expressed the support for a motion to help the Sokcho Medical Centre's ER temporarily, which proposes raising the ER staff's wages using the budget of four cities and countries, or counties, sorry, in Kowon Province and the Mount Sorok areas. Yes, this is just one hospital in Kowon, of course, but it is representative of a wider concerning trend in Korea currently. OK, let's move on to a second story now. What do you have for us? Yes, Park Soyeon, the former head of the animal rights group Coexistence of Animal Rights on Earth, or CARE, has been sentenced to two years in prison for animal abuse. On Tuesday, the Seoul Central District Court handed down the verdict for Park, who was indicted on charges of violating the Animal Protection Act. Now, Park is accused of euthanizing 98 animals between 2015 and 2018 in a bid to secure more space in animal shelters and save on costs for treating animals. She's also accused of breaking into two puppy mills on August 15, 2018 and smuggling out five dogs worth 1.3 million won or 1,000 US dollars. Okay, so going back to how it started, it came to light after a senior official at the Animal Rights Group blew the whistle on Park, right? Yeah, that's correct. The official raised suspicions against Park with the Anti-Corruption and Civil Rights Commission in December 2018. The Seoul Court on Tuesday decided not to slap any sentence on this official, even though they had assisted Park in the alleged animal abuse activities. In the making of the decision, the court took into account that this official had exposed Park and reported her to the Anti-Corruption and Civil Rights Commission. What's been the response from Park on the court's ruling? Shortly after the sentencing came out, Park says she will appeal their court decision, calling it unreasonable. She said the court is not aware of the realities of animal shelters, claiming that if civic groups are not allowed to euthanize animals, they will only be able to rescue a small number of animals. Yes, dealing with abandoned animals was, of course, a difficult issue, but transparency is key, and it seems like that is where uh, Pak fell short. She uh, did admit to hiding that she euthanised animals, but she was afraid of the backlash, and that's why she did it. Mm. Yes, so that's uh, unfortunately damages the trust that people have with these sorts of organisations. But in the meantime, uh, we'll see how her appeal goes. Let's swiftly move on to our final story now. What do you have for us? Yeah, so Seoul City plans to scrap pink parking spaces for women that currently exist in 29 locations in the capital, including department stores, retailers and public organisations. The Seoul Metropolitan Government on Tuesday submitted to the Seoul Metropolitan Council revisions to regulations regarding the installation and management of parking lots in the capital city. The revisions seek to change the pink spaces into parking areas that will accommodate vehicles carrying pregnant women, families with young children or the elderly who are indisposed. Yes, they've become a familiar sight. Uh, when were these women-only park spaces first introduced? Well, they were introduced 14 years ago in 2009 in order to guarantee more safety to women after a series of burglaries and assaults targeting women occurred in underground parking lots. Now, in order to create these women-priority spaces, the Seoul government designated 10% of the spaces in parking lots that can accommodate more than 30 vehicles as pink parking spaces. So why has the city then decided to do away with these parking areas. This decision has apparently been made amid criticism that the designation of such areas created a negative view of women, including the perception that women are inexperienced when it comes to driving and parking. The Pink Space Scheme was also denounced due to its failure to provide benefits to those who mobil- whose mobility rights should be guaranteed, including seniors who have difficulty moving. The current parking spaces for women are outlined in pink paint and occupy areas close to the parking lot security staff for safety reasons. Now, after the planned changes are imposed, 
proposed, the new parking spaces will be referred to as family considerate parking spaces and will be designated near escalators, elevators and sections where surveillance cameras are installed. Okay, we'll leave it there for today's career trending. Thank you for those stories, Walter, and we'll see you again next time. See you next time. Next up, it's Career Book Club, our weekly segment discovering the world of current literature, usually through works available in translation. And for that, we have our literary critic, Barry Welsh, in the studio with us once again. Barry, hello. It's good to see you. Yes, good evening. So what do you have in store for us today? So this evening, we're discussing a short story called Light Escort. The Korean title is Biche Hohe, uh, by Cho Hye Jin and translated by Brother Anthony and published in the spring uh, 2015 issue of Koreana magazine. Uh, and Cho is a very prolific and celebrated writer uh, with several novels and uh, several short story collections to her name. She debuted in 2004 after working as a Korean language teacher in Korea and then in Poland for several years uh, and she's won numerous uh, awards and accolades so uh, the Lee Hyo Sok Literary Award in 2016 the 31st Shindong Yup Prize for Literature in 2013 and the 5th Young Writers Award 2014 for today's story and uh, so the, the Literature Translation Institute of Korea's website describes uh, Cho as having a welcoming perspective towards a diverse range of societal others, such as people with disabilities, foreigners, North Korean defectors and overseas adoptees. Her works act as a testimony to their existence and lives. Uh, and Cho herself said in uh, a very interesting interview in the Korea Times that I believe one purpose of a novel is to represent those who lives are upstaged and don't get to enjoy their fair share of the pie. Even when you do write about individuals with glamorous lives, the novel should be able to see through the facade and witness their hidden wounds. And tonight's story, Lights Escort, is uh, is one such story of a woman who hasn't been treated as fairly by the world as she should have been. Right, so Chaw, uh, she is a prolific writer with a strong social conscience. So we've reviewed uh, many books by writers with a similar focus on the marginalised and underprivileged in Korean society, such as uh, Hwang Jong-un. They often focus their attention on the lives of the disenfranchised members of contemporary society, and Chaw uh, is of the same mould. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then how does Chaw uh, illuminate the lives of those living on the fringes in this work, Lights Escort. Right, so this is uh, it's an, you know, an atmospheric and poignant story. It's about the intertwined lives of two people and the secrets they share that have inf- influenced their lives in different ways. Uh, so the story begins with the narrator at New York International Airport and he's watching the snow falling out the window. Uh, and as he watches this, uh, the, the, the snow falling, this picturesque scene, it sparks a memory of a woman called Guanun uh, and their shared history together. The narrator, we learn, uh, was recently reunited with Guanun one year ago after a 20-year absence, a 20-year gap in their uh, relationship. The narrator is now a journalist and has been or or had been sent to interview Guanun, who is now uh, an acclaimed uh, photographer of war refugees and uh, natural disasters. And during the interview, it appears that Guanun had 
had forgotten the connection between the two of them. She doesn't seem to recognise uh, the narrator, who the narrator is. And so at this meeting, you know, after 20 years, the narrator doesn't remind her of their shared history, but instead sort of hints are dropped that perhaps... Uh, something has happened to Guanun, uh, and something has happened since this interview too. And the narrator also hints at some kind of pivotal uh, life-changing event that happened between the two of them at their original meeting over 20 years ago. So what is the connection between these two people? And you know, what has happened to Guanun since the interview a year ago? And Cho uses this uh, setup to explore the role of memory in our lives and how creativity can be used to escape from uh, or document uh, the harsher uh, realities of life. Right, so it's an intriguing setup, teasing the reader, it seems, to read on. Can you tell us uh, a bit more? How does Tor use this story to highlight the importance of uh, creativity and memory in our lives then? Right, so uh, we eventually learn, you know, the story sort of works backwards. Uh, we, we eventually learn that Guanun and the narrator, they were classmates classmates, sorry, in middle school. Uh, they weren't close. They weren't friends in the typical sense. Uh, and their relationship started under uh, unusual circumstances. One day, the homeroom teacher asks the narrator to visit Guanun, uh, who he doesn't know, and find out why has she been absent from school so much. And he discovers that Guanun was uh, or has essentially been abandoned by her father and doesn't seem to have any other family members. So she's living alone in a squalor and poverty. She's very young. She's middle school age in this sort of shabby room in this, uh, uh, you know, fallen down, run down neighborhood. And she asks the narrator to keep her situation a secret so that she isn't taken into a, a care facility of some kind. And the narrator agrees. And, you know, they have they, they have the secret together from that point on. And he helps uh, he helps her by bringing her different items that she might be able to use. Uh, and one day he steals an old camera, this old Fuji uh, camera from his parents and he gives it to Guanun and he thinks that she could sell it you know, and, and use that money to buy some food or something practical. But however, Guanun doesn't sell this camera and instead it becomes kind of a lifeline of sorts which sort of takes her back out into the world. It sort of motivates her to leave this sort of shabby room that she's staying in and it gives her a life beyond the difficult circumstances that she's been, been living in. And so this section of the story is very compelling I think this is the part that worked most for me. Uh, and Cho, Cho writes about this very well. She writes at one point, uh, once she had used that camera to photograph everything inside her room, Guanun gradually began to venture outside in quest of more and more scenes to capture. And she came back to school too. And so in this section, it's a very moving portrait of someone who's using art and creativity uh, to you know, reestablish some kind of connection with the world or overcome suffering and find a reason to, to live again. Indeed, it's a, a very romantic scenario as well, I think. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily between the two characters, but I mean uh, more about how one item such as mm -hmm. a camera can change the path of a person's life. In fact, that leads her uh, to becoming a war photographer, as you yeah. said, another aspect of the story. How does that uh, end up connecting to the rest of the story. Right, yeah. So the, there, there is this other aspect of the story. Uh, so, so woven through the story of the, the narrator and Guanun is, is this other, you know, initially separate 
story uh, about a violinist called Alma Mayer, uh, who was born in Belgium in 1916. Uh, and Alma's life sees her overcome discrimination against her as a Jewish woman at this time to become a member of the Brussels Philharmonic Orchestra uh, in 1938. Uh, and there she falls in love with a horn player called Jean. Uh, and of course... Uh, they're briefly very happy, but then the, the, the war breaks out and in 1940, their life changes and leading to you know some very tragic uh, events and situations. And so Cho seems to draw parallels between the circumstances of, of Alma's life, which she has to, you know, she hides in a cellar for, for a long time uh, and the squalor of, of Guanun's childhood home. Uh, you know, and, and from both of these environments, Alma and Guan went on to lead uh, inspirational, lives. However, there's a degree of ambiguity in the story. Guan's own life circumstances changed uh, for the worst, uh, changed for the worst when she was wounded on her on her most recent assignment. Uh, and Alma also continued to experience tragedy throughout her life. And it, 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 you know, these two two sort of life stories are, are are woven together, but their relationship is quite complex actually, and there's no clear uh, outcome. And I thought like the overall meaning that Cho was going going for was a little slippery and difficult to grasp, but it's nevertheless I thought it was thought provoking and engaging, and there's several compelling you know strands and elements, even if I uh, personally found it a little difficult to fully interpret. Right, so an ambiguous story Mm -hmm. in the end, but one that takes the reader on quite a journey, I feel. Uh, It's called The Lights Escort by Zhui Jin, and I believe uh, Brother Anthony's translation is actually available on his uh, personal website, who will probably put up a link on our social media pages uh, for that as well. Barry, we'll leave it there. Thank you for exploring another interesting work for us, and uh, we'll see you again soon. Okay, take care. Did you enjoy this segment? You can discover more segments like this throughout the week on Korea 24. On Monday, we bring you news from the world of sports around the peninsula. Then on Tuesday, notable guests from various fields join us and give us insight into their lives and work. Are you a fan of books? Then tune in on Wednesday for Korea Book Club, where our book critic helps us unpack works by Korean authors or written on Korea. Go on an adventure with us every Thursday as we take a look at Korea's hidden gems with Explorer Korea. And on Friday, listen to what our film critics have to say about the latest movie releases from both home and abroad. We have all that you need, all in one place, on Korea 24. It's time now for Morning Edition Preview, our closing segment, where we take a look at some interesting features reports coming out in tomorrow's newspapers, namely the Career Times and the Career Herald. And filling in for Richard today, we have one of our explorers with us. We have (laughs) Hannah Roberts, who we usually meet for our Thursday culture and travel segment, Explore Korea. Hannah, hello, and thank you for filling in. Not at all. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, it's great to see you. Uh, I believe we only have one story uh, for you to uh, introduce us today. Uh, What have you got to share with us? So as you already know, I love to share Korean traditions and culture on my usual segment. Sure. And so I couldn't resist today but to share a story written by Kim Hae-yeon at the Korea Herald 
about an exciting international invitation that has been extended to Korea's very own talchum, a traditional form of mask dance. Yes, okay, that does sound exciting. Talchum, it's uh, of course. Uh, People in Korea are very familiar with the traditional mask dance, but perhaps is not as well known uh, overseas. So where is Talchum being taken then? Uh, Talchum, yeah, like you said, it's well known here. Talchum is most famously performed at the Andong Mask Festival held uh, in Korea every autumn. But this time it's hitting the international stage. Kim Hyeon writes in the article that Talchum is set to make its debut at Italy's renowned Venice Carnival this Friday. Uh, it's the first time this traditional Korean dance or any Korean performance group ever has been showcased at the world-famous Venice Mask Festival. Mm. It says in the article that 15 members of an Andong-based mask dance preservation association will give a one-hour-long performance at San Marco Square in Venice on February 17th. Well, that's uh, great news for Korean arts uh, on the international stage then. Uh, for people who don't know, what exactly is Talchum? Can you give us a, a brief intro? Definitely, yeah. Talchum translates literally as mask dance and incorporates music, dance and theatre to tell a story. Sometimes that story is satirical uh, and the, the stories also often provide commentary on social issues, mm. you know, class issues, that kind of thing. Uh, it's been uh, a big few months, actually, for the art form of Taochum. Uh, it's even recently been designated as Korea's 22nd UNESCO Intangible Cultural Heritage. So it's a very special time. Yes, indeed. In fact, we talked about that designation on an uh, on an edition of Explore Korea when it was uh, first announced last year. Mm -hmm. That was with Anjou, our arts explorer. Mm -hmm. uh, but yes, it's good to hear that uh, more people around the world will get a chance to appreciate it and discover it as well. Uh, we'll have to wrap it up there for Morning Edition Preview. Thank you for bringing us that story and uh, we'll see you again next time. See you again. And that's where we bring our show to a close today. Thank you for staying with us. We'll be back same time tomorrow. So we hope you can join us again then. I've been your host, Kwon Jawa, and thank you as always for listening. Goodbye. World Radio offers all you need to know on Korea through its various programs. Tune into One Fine Day with Lena Park and join the K-pop diva for two fine hours every weekday. Are you into the latest K-pop tracks? Then K-pop Connection is your fix. Brian Ju brings you the best of K-pop and K-culture. On Korea 24, host Kwon Jang-ho helps listeners digest all the biggest stories coming out of South Korea. Keep up with what's happening on the peninsula by listening to Korea 24. Learn about Korean folktales on Mondays with global audiobook, Once Upon a Time in Korea. If you're a bookworm, don't miss Books on Demand, a program that introduces Korean literature to the global audience every Tuesday. Our Wednesday program, Korea Today and Tomorrow, provides news on the latest diplomatic developments in and around the Korean peninsula. Want to go deeper than K-pop? Sounds of Korea takes a closer look at various traditional music every Thursday. KBS World Radio is your go-to channel for all things Korea. Tune in! KBS World Radio